Well, good morning, church. My name is Doug, one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to be able to worship with you this morning. Um, Even more specifically, it's a joy to be able to start this new series as we as a church walk through the book of Acts. And so I would invite you, as Devin said, if you have a copy of God's Word, you will be helped if you just have it open in front of you. We're in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And as you're making your way there, I want you to reflect on just a couple of questions, okay? Just think about the answer to these questions. Where is Jesus right now? Where's he at right now? What has he been up to all of this time? As you think about since his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, what has Jesus been doing? And then finally, does any of that make any difference for us right here, right now, this morning? Does any of that make any difference to us? My hope is that as we walk through the book of Acts over the course of the next couple of weeks and throughout the next few months, um, that we would get clarity on answers to those questions and that we would grow in our confidence as we answer questions just like that. Now, before we dive in specifically to these verses, I want to just share with you just a little bit about some of the, the motivation behind starting a series in Acts. What is it? It's one thing to to think about how do we preach, how do we communicate the message of this book, and it's another thing to to actually um, pray to God that he would do something in and through our church. And so what is it as we open up this, this wonderful, amazing book of the Bible, what is it that we long to see God do in and among us at Parkview Church? Let me just provide for you sort of five different motivations, five dis- different reasons why I am absolutely thrilled to be preaching through the book of Acts with you all in the weeks ahead. And I would encourage you if, you, if you're somebody who takes notes, I would encourage you to write these five things down and to join us in praying that God would do these things in and through our church in the months ahead. Why are we preaching through the book of Acts? First motivation, that we would become a people who are devoted to the church. That we would become a people who are devoted to the church. We will see that Jesus, as we read through the book of Acts, that Jesus loves his church. And this is an opportunity for us as a people, as his people specifically, to grow in our affection and our commitment and our devotion to Christ's church. And I would say that this is significant, this is very important for us today. And in a in a in a world that is marked, even Christianity, highly by individualism, that we would see the importance of us as a people, as Christ's people. As we read through the book, that what we'll see is that relationships of God's people are, are so critical and so important. We, we learn as we consider some of the, the chosen apostles, the, the instruments that God chose to work through in the early church, men like Paul, that, that Paul was not a one-man show. He was anything far, he was far from that. It's not a one-man show. He was sent by a church. Paul served the church. He reported back to the church. He loved the church. He was persecuted alongside of the church and for the church. As we read through this book, that we will see how deeply committed these people are to each other. They're devoted to the church. Might God do that among us as well? What else do we long to see happen as we study the book of Acts? 
We also long that we would become a people who are dependent on the Holy Spirit through prayer. As we read through this book, we will see that almost at every turning point in the narrative, we find the mention of prayer. Chapter 1, verse 14, as, as the church is waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit, they are a praying church. And just a few verses after that, verses 24 and 25, as they consider how to replace Judas, what do they do? They, they prayed. Early on in chapter two, we see them committed to praying together. In chapter four, after the first persecution, they prayed. In chapter six, they, recognizing they didn't want to neglect uh, the, the widows. They needed to appoint folks who would care well for them. They prayed. In chapter 12 in Jerusalem, Peter arrested, James murdered. Peter gets out of jail, goes and finds the church. And what does he find him doing? He finds him praying. In chapter 13, after they send out the first missionary journey, they do so through prayer. In 14, Paul established elders and leaders, and he, they laid hands on them, and they pray. In 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. And what are they doing? They're singing, and they're, they're praying. In chapter 20, when, when Paul, this beautiful story of Paul saying goodbye to the church at Ephesus, they bend a knee and they pray all throughout books. At every turning point of the journey, we discover that this people is a praying people. And, and the prayer for us is that God would use the study of this book to create a hunger and a, an, a, an awake, for awakening and for revival among us as we three, read through the book of Acts. We also long to see, thirdly, that through this study, that we would be a people who are zealous for Jesus. We're asking that God would use the study of Acts to keep our gaze fixed on the risen and ascended Christ, our Redeemer, that we would stay focused on him. Granted, this is, this is really the prayer for every time that anybody stands behind this pulpit on a Sunday morning, that Christ would be proclaimed, that our hearts would be stirred and, and our zeal for him would increase. Might God do that through the study of this book? Fourthly, that we would be a people who are committed to the word of God. As we study this book, we will see so many different connections. One of the things I absolutely love about the book of Acts, and as we read through it, we'll see so many different connections with Acts to the entire Bible, all of the, the narrative of scripture that we read. We'll see it connected in so many different ways. It's one of the, the things I absolutely loved about it. I can remember one of the things I really discovered here at this church, sitting underneath Pastor Gilmore's preaching, was one of the things I just loved about his preaching was he was able to take, to, to take New Testament passages and, and connect them to the Old Testament and show us as a people how this is one story of how God is redeeming a people for himself. And as we see these connections throughout God's word, would we grow in our commitment to the Bible. And fifth and finally, that we would be a people who are passionate about global missions. John Stott famously says in his commentary on the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit and he has created a missionary church. We'll see this all the way throughout our study of Acts as we see this, this revolution 
take hold in the city of Jerusalem and spread throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Throughout our study of the book of Acts, we will see 10 different summary statements that show how this movement is just going forward to the ends of the earth and it grows by 3,000 and by 5,000 and that the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and multiplied. It's a prayer that we should pray as we study this book, that, that God would do that in this church. Parfuge has a wonderful history of being committed to global missions and that that commitment would increase. Make us a church like the church at Antioch, a, a model in the book of Acts of a diverse leadership team that is committed to evangelism and mercy. Parkview Church, our longing as, as pastors and as elders is that as we move forward together as a church, that we would do, do it in such a way that radiates the glory of Christ throughout the nations for generations to come. And I firmly believe that studying this book will help us do just that. So as we dive in this morning, what is the book of Acts all about? Well, one of my favorite albums um, is a jazz album by John Coltrane called A Love Supreme. And from the opening of this, it's just sort of a four-part suite, four different songs, about 33 minutes long, the entire album. From the opening of the album, there's a, it sort of sets in motion by this, this clanging gong of a noise, and it's followed by the flutter of a, a tenor sax. Eventually, a four-note um, bass line builds underneath the sound. And this simple riff, this four-note bass line, becomes sort of the musical framework for the rich improvisations that compromise this album. Just like the melody of a song, so too do books of the Bible have a coherent and sustained message. And it's just like a melody sort of unites, this message unites the whole of the book. So the question for us this morning, and as we walk through this study, is what is that message? What is that melodic line, if you will, of the book of Acts? Well, let me summarize it for you in this way. And, and we'll hear this over and over throughout our study. What's the melodic line of Acts? It's this. The King Jesus extends his kingdom as his spirit-filled people spread his word. What is the book of Acts? What are we going to see this morning? What are we going to see throughout our study? It's that King Jesus extends his kingdom as his spirit-filled people spread his word. Really, as sort of an introduction to the book this morning, I want to focus on really sort of two main points in these first five verses to help us see this melodic line carried out throughout the book. And the two points are simply going to be this for us this morning. The continuation, first we'll consider the continuation of Luke's message. And then next we'll look at the continuation of Christ's ministry. So first, the continuation of Luke's message. Look down there at verses 1 and 2. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, it's widely recognized that the author of this book is Luke. 
This is Luke's second volume. He also wrote the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, where he tells the, the story of Jesus as a summarized here, what he began to do and to teach. What we know about Luke is that he was, while he was a writer, he was also a physician. He was presumably a well-educated, a, a wealthy individual. And he was also a travel companion to Paul, that he served alongside of Paul. There's sections of the book that as we read through Acts, we will see that, that he switches into the first person and it, placing himself directly in the story. He was a close friend. He was loyal to Paul. Um, he, he was e even to him while he was in prison. You can only imagine how Luke's medical skills would have aided Paul as he found victim to many really difficult circumstances. Luke was the type of guy you wanted to have around. He was also a historian. His writings are filled with tremendous historical data. His extensive travels with Paul would have given him access to people and to places that would allow him to do research and to find answers to different kinds of questions, sort of piecing together this amazing story of Jesus and his life. He would have investigated and examined a vast amount of information and evidence. Really, as we walk through the book of Acts, what we are walking through is a historical document. It's a historical document. We know that Luke also wrote uh, this book to Theophilus. Uh, we don't know much about Theophilus in the introduction to Luke's gospel. He refers to him as most excellent Theophilus. Many think that this is an indication that he was a Roman official, generally assumed he was a person of high standing, that he was likely also an educated man. And if that's the case, then many think that this man would have, could have possibly provided financial support for Luke to dedicate his time to writing this account. Um, more important, though, than understanding the relationship between Luke and Theophilus is, is understanding the relationship um, that he had, would have had with the Lord, that Theophilus might have had with the Lord. We do have an indication that Theophilus is either an individual who's curious about Christianity or possibly even a young believer himself. As Luke writes this, what he's writing is answers to questions that Theophilus is likely asking. The purpose in Luke writing both of these books is to provide for Theophilus, for those who read his work, to provide for them certainty about all that has happened with this revolutionary movement known as Christianity. In the intro to uh, Luke in verse four, he says, he writes that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. In effect, Luke is saying, I'll tell you why we believe what we believe. If you are curious about Christianity, if you have some familiarity, some exposure to the message of this book, this is the perfect place for you to be. What Luke is essentially doing for those of us who maybe have questions about Jesus, have questions about the church, about Christianity, is he's simply providing us with the evidence and saying, you choose for yourself. Here's the story. So if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you haven't been convinced, let me first say, I am absolutely thrilled that you are here. And my challenge to you today and in the weeks ahead is simply to consider the evidence.
Why? So that you might have certainty of the things concerning Jesus. So Luke's message is continuing. From, the first, from his gospel, the account of Jesus, into the book of Acts, the message continues. Certainly, I want to, let's first consider this, what the message is about. The message that Luke is writing is primarily about Jesus. No shocker, okay? The mess, Luke's message is primarily about Jesus. Certainly, we discover stories of the apostles and, and the Holy Spirit, major themes throughout the book of Acts. However, Luke begins his second volume exactly where he leaves off in his first, with his eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. He, he insists on this from the very beginning. Look at the, the very first verse. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began to do. The way he summarizes his first account, the first volume, the Gospel of Luke, he simply summarizes it with that statement. All that Jesus began to do and teach. And in my Bible, I have underlined that. I don't know if you're somebody who writes in your Bible or not, but that is a, that is a line that should be underlined. Luke is providing a summary of what he focused on in his first gospel. And this is similar to what we see is as we, as we pick up in Acts, as we consider where Luke left off in Luke, there is a little bit of an overlap, and we see some of the, the continuation of this message. If you're familiar with Luke in chapter 24, there's this story after the, the resurrection of Jesus that there are these two disciples who are walking on the road to the village of Emmaus. And as they're walking, Jesus sort of disguises himself. They're unable to recognize him, he, he approaches these two individuals and walks journeys along with them. They don't know that they're in the presence of the risen Lord Jesus, but they are. And, and as he kind of shows up, he simply asks them, what, what are the things that you guys are talking about? They're, they're having a conversation reflecting on all the events of the resurrection, all the things that have happened in and around their community. And Jesus shows up and he says, what are you guys talking about? And their response is, first, they're amazed. Who, what do you mean? Where have you been, hiding under a rock? How do you not know what's going on? And then they summarize what they're discussing. And they say, we are talking about things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word before God and all people. Their summary of Jesus's life and ministry was that he was an individual who was mighty in word and in deed. And that's consistent with what we see here in Acts chapter 1, that as Luke summarizes his ministry, his life, he does so in a very similar way. Jesus began to do and to teach, word and deed. We see this consistent message from, one, from the first volume to the second volume. As we read on through the book of Acts, we will see that Jesus is the focal point of the entire book. See this in, in Peter's first sermon following Pentecost. Towards the end of the sermon, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. As we read throughout the book, we'll discover some 20 sermons that are preached in the book of Acts. And the main point of each one of these sermons is Jesus. It's what the message is about. If you were to fast forward to the end of the book, you would see that the, the, the story sort of ends abruptly with Paul proclaiming this message. It says in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 28, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All the way through the book, we will see that the message is about Jesus. Not just is the message about Jesus, but the message is for the ends of the earth. The message about Jesus is to be proclaimed in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and throughout the ends of the earth. And the story of Acts is the story of how that message went out, went out and transformed lives and communities. And just in a couple hundred years, the Roman Empire itself would see it as a major threat. It was catching root. It was spreading. This message about Christ was for the ends of the earth. In fact, we are here this morning because men and women were faithful to this message. It's why we can be here on the other side of the world singing songs to Jesus, offering prayers to Jesus, worshiping him, learning about him because the church of Jesus Christ spread the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. It's what our job is. That's the message of the book. Now consider with me for a moment the, the continuation, how the, the message continued from Luke's volume one to volume two. Let's consider for a moment the continuation of Christ's ministry. Luke wrote this book inspired by the Holy Spirit to make an account of what the risen Lord Jesus did. Yes, these are acts of the Holy Spirit through his chosen instruments. We see that right at the very beginning until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. A major theme of this book is gonna be the fact that God works through chosen instruments, men and women like you and me, normal people. It's how he spreads, extends his kingdom. But he does this, it's very clear that as he does this, that these are acts of the risen Christ. If you have your Bible open, you might wanna just consider and look up at uh, the title of the book. This, this title would have, um, this title of Acts, the idea of Acts, wouldn't have been all too uncommon in other ancient literature. Acts is a genre of literature that recorded events of great men or a great man or person. It's true that the book of Acts has been variously titled throughout history. If you look at your Bible open, you'll see that it says, The Acts of the Apostles. However, it's important to remember that that titling of the books of the Bible was kind of an unusual process. It was unusual because, well, they didn't really have titles. Remember, these are letters. When, when Paul sat down to write the, the letter to the Romans, um, he didn't begin by, you know, center align, all caps, Romans, all right? He, he didn't place the title. It was, it was a letter. He didn't give it a title. Sometimes titles were given based on the first word of the letter or the, the name of the author or its recipients. Acts of the Apostles as a title didn't actually appear until the second century. Early manuscripts wouldn't have had titles or some just would have been called Acts. 
Then around the second century, we start seeing this title emerge, the Acts of the Apostles. Some have, as they read through the book, tried to sort of maybe challenge that and push back against that title and say, no, this book is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I would say that's, that's probably getting closer to being true and an accurate description of, of what the book is about. However, we must keep in mind that it is the Spirit who was sent by Jesus. It's His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And so therefore, these acts are actually the acts of the risen Christ. Paul seems to have gotten this point that Jesus continued to do. Luke volume one was everything he began to do and teach. Therefore, act volume, or volume two of Luke's story is everything that Jesus would continue to do and to teach well beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Paul understands this. In Romans 15, the apostle Paul says that when he spoke and when he preached, it was actually Christ who worked through him in word and in deed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's through this spirit and the book of Acts that men and women are, are able to spread the word and to make Christ known. Luke 24 records that the Christ had to suffer and rise and that this must be proclaimed throughout all the nations. In the book of Acts, we discover the story of how that happened. That through the, the suffering of the church, the message would go forth. It's in the book of Acts that we discover that these people who are followers, are part of the revolution, followers of this Jesus, were first called Christians. This book is about what the risen Lord Jesus has done. Jesus is not only the, at, the, at the center as we consider the, the content of the message. What we discover in the book of Acts is he's also at the, the center of command. He ultimately has the controls in his hand. Jesus, in the book of Acts, is building the church just like he said he would. And the gates of hell, as we read through the story, cannot prevail against it. Acts is the story of Jesus continuing to do just that. Jesus did exactly what he said he would do, that he would spread the word of his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins by the power of his spirit through human witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is an account of how that happened in the first years following his ascension. It's so important for us to remember as we walk through this book together that it's, it's not primarily, and this will be, there, there are some amazing stories in the book of Acts. This week I sat down and just, just read it in one sitting. I guess it wasn't one sitting. I did have to get up because I remember it was trash day. So I had to go take the trash out, but came back and read it. It, took, it takes about two hours to do. And, and as you read through it, it's, it is amazing. The stories that you discover that the people, their faithfulness, their loyalty to this message and to their king, it will just blow you away. But here's the deal. It is not primarily a story about great men and, and great women with a great faith, gifted with great, the gift of great preaching skills and, and filled with great boldness and with great courage. Certainly that's involved. Certainly it's a part of the story. But at its heart, 
It's a story about what Jesus did. What he said he would do, he did. What he promised, he gave. As we sit here and, and we read these verses this morning, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus fulfills that promise. What he foretold, as we read through the book of Acts, we see that he fulfills. Acts is a sweeping and it's a swelling story filled with accounts of miracles and the spread of the gospel in ways that are simply unexplainable in human categories. It is a thrilling journey. But more importantly, and what to me I think provides maybe the most reason for hope, is that it's a story that's successful. In the face of tremendous persecution, tremendous opposition, King Jesus extends his kingdom as his spirit-filled people spread his word. The revolution he started continues. One of the things I noticed as I was reading through the book this week was how all of the significant events that happened and what their outcome, this is a great tool just for studying the Bible, is a significant event happens. You wanna pay attention, as much as you get caught up in the significance of the event, you wanna pay attention to the outcome. What did that event produce? What was the result? Why did that happen? And as you read through the book of Acts, what you will see over and over and over again is that the word of God increases and prevails. Events take place and the word of God spreads. Acts 2, what's the outcome of Peter's sermon? There's a community of God's people that are devoting themselves to the apostolic teaching and God's word. The outcome of the event is the proclamation of the gospel. In Acts 3, what's the outcome of the healing of the lame beggar who sits outside the temple? The word of God is being fulfilled, we're told, and many believe the word. In Acts 4, when Peter and John return to their friends after being arrested, questioned, and released, what happens as a result is that they continue to speak God's word with boldness. Acts 6, when the seven are chosen to serve widows, so why do they do that? So the 12 could focus on preaching the word. The outcome is that the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied. Acts 8, the stoning of Stephen. Those then were scattered throughout the region, proclaiming the word of God. In Acts chapter 8, when Simon the magician comes to faith, the outcome is that they return to Jerusalem and preach the word. The story of Philip, Philip and the Ethiopian. The result is that the, the word is opened, it's proclaimed, and it spreads. Saul's conversion, immediate proclamation. We're told that he increases in strength so that he can proclaim the word. As persecution sets in on the church, what's the result of the very thing that everybody thought would shut this thing down? Guess what happens? The word of God is triumphant. It prevails. It God's kingdom extends as his word goes forth. Even the attempts of man, the strongest forces on the face of the earth, could not stop it. The word increases. It multiplies. On and on. I've got another 15 references I could go on with. Significant events in the books of Acts. The outcome is 
The word of God increases. The church is multiplied. His kingdom extends. As you read through the book of Acts, you will see the triumph of the word in the face of death, in the face of persecution, in the face of opposition, in the face of discouragement, in the face of division. The word of God is triumphant. It was then, and the good news for us this morning is that it is now. This is not just a journey that some 2,000 years ago, God enlisted a handful of men and women and they did a great thing. This is a journey that he invites you and me to be on, to participate, to link arms with each other and to join him as his kingdom extends while his spirit-filled people spread his word. This is a historical document. Now, here's the deal. Um, Tony Merida and his commentary on the book of Acts has a helpful way of talking about um, the different ways you can approach history. There's several different ways you can approach history. You can approach history as a scholar. Uh, you know, somebody who analyzes, maybe memorize dates and places, names. Um, as if you're a student cramming for a test. Heaven forbid that happens. Probably not too often, maybe, or, or, or an essay that you have to write. You can approach it like you're a scholar. But here's the deal. This is not just, this is not some ancient artifact. It's not like a, a museum that you just walk through and think about how things used to happen. You, you, other people will approach history maybe as an admirer. There are people out there who really enjoy reading history. They'll do it for fun. They have a casual interest, maybe in a particular subject, and they might enjoy a good documentary or, or a stroll through a museum or an antique shop. There's some people who just admire history. And that's not the way we want to approach the book of Acts. Rather, the way we want to approach it is like soldiers. This is how we approach Acts. This is our history. One of the things I love about this church is that we have a re rich and deep history, nearly 100 years. But the truth is, this book is a part of our history as the people of God. Our church is not 100 years old. It's 2,000 years old. And as we read this letter, we learn about our history. We approach this as soldiers. Soldiers study history to become better soldiers. They know that there's a lot of work to do, and, and they recognize their role in accomplishing the mission. Folks, this is a journey. It's a historical journey, and it's a present journey. And the question for us this morning is, will you join it? Will you participate in it? This we want to provide as many practical ways for you to do that. I'm going to just give you three quickly. First is, for you to participate in this journey, what does that look like now? First off, you need to be grounded in the word. If the journey is, is spreading his word, that's what it is, then you and I, we need to become, we need to know and love this book. It's one of the reasons why as a church we've said, hey, let's take this journey together. Here's a, here's a Bible reading plan that will get us on the same page. And you can find that in your email. It's out there at the Connect Center. And encourage you to grab one and to join us as we, as we give ourselves to reading this book. You need to be grounded in the Word. Secondly, if you want to join this journey, you need to be connected in community. You need to link arms with one another. 
Part of the reason why this church expanded and extended and grew the way that it did was because they presented to the rest of the world the picture of a unified people. Different classes, different races coming together from different walks of life. Jesus Christ forming one new man. People looked at that in amazement and in wonder. And I'm telling you, today, they will do the same thing. They will do the same thing. You need to be connected in community. Again, we want to provide many ways that we can help you do that. You will find a ton of information about how you can be connected at the Connect Center or in your weekly email. But whether it's through community groups or right now there's a class at 9 o'clock that's happening there. We just want, there's men's and women's retreats coming up. We just want to be in each other's life. Okay, We need that to join in this. And then finally, we want to be active and serving. Praise God, at Central Campus last week, 51 people filled out service cards. As we've kind of evaluated the different place of needs around here to help us bring glory to Christ to the whole church, forming whole disciples for the good of all people, as we long to see that happen, we want to mobilize you into serving, into actively spreading the word. And there's different needs that we have right now. And again, if, you wanna, if, you, if you've been sitting on the sidelines, maybe for the last couple of weeks, months, years, whatever, let me tell you this. It is never too late. It's never too late to jump in. We would love to help you do just that. So maybe consider what the next step looks like for you in this great journey. The good news for us the good news for us is that today, King Jesus is extending his kingdom as his spirit-filled people spread his word. And it's not too late to join. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much um, that your son, Jesus, is on the throne right now. And we confess that as we examine and look around our life, there is a ton that doesn't make sense, that's outside of our control, and that often leaves us wondering, is there any way out? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that at this very moment, the controls are in King Jesus' hand. And his will will be done. Lord, we thank you that um, you have saved us. Lord, that you have called us your own, brought us back into favor with you, even in spite of our sin and the countless times that we have dropped the ball, Lord. Not just do you bring us back to you, Lord, but you also send us out. Send us out. You, you tell us that we have value and purpose. And we've got a job to do, Lord. And I pray that as we walk through the book of Acts as a church, Lord, I pray that you would use this. Lord, would you use this study to advance and extend your kingdom, not just here in Iowa City or Johnson County, but through the ends of the earth. Lord, we ask that you would do that through us, through this church. We love you. We ask these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.